Hey, everybody, and welcome to Celebrating the Brand Ambassador, where we get down and dirty and reveal the secrets of some of the most outstanding career brand ambassadors, innovators, and brand owners in the cocktail industry. I'm your host, Elaine Duff, and if you like what you hear, please subscribe. Now let's get right into it and meet the personalities behind the brands you love. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Celebrate the Brand Ambassador. This is episode 19, and I am here with the lovely Jenna Murray and Taylor Corrigan. So thank you guys, ladies and gentlemen, for joining me today. How's everybody doing? Doing well. Yeah, great. So very well. Poor Taylor. Taylor's been in his house forever, so... (laughs) Taylor's in Canada, everybody. He's up in Toronto and they're and they're still in lockdown. And Jenna is in Chicago. So I am and we are lucky in Chicago and New York City that we are pretty much almost all completely, you know, back to normal, which is very nice. Taylor's crossing his fingers that eventually they're gonna get there. So uh, at least you have a bright and sunny home to be in. So that's nice. That's it. Until then, I've got <laughs> lots of room and I've gotten really, really great with the virtual events. So, you know, just an opportunity to brush up on new skills. It, absolutely. So I'm going to start. So I, my first question I always ask, and I'm going to start with you, Jenna, is what is your current position and what are your responsibilities? Yep. So I am fortunate enough to be the whiskey brand ambassador for Pernod Card, And we cover everything from Scotch to Irish and now our American bourbons. And my division is the American division within our company. So 15 states all across the U.S. And so, yeah, I'm on the road. Well, used to be on the road a lot. <laughs> well, hopefully you'll be there again. And, and Taylor, what is, your, what is your position? And who do you work so for? I, through various stages of lockdown, just made a transition within working for Brown Foreman here in Canada. Had been working in a national capacity, really focused on Woodford Reserve and also Old Forester. And since, have shifted back onto the Jack Daniels family of brands. I'm back in black on Jack. And my, <laughs> my, new, my new job title is Senior Advocacy and Engagement Manager. So... No, shifted a little bit of my energy, but still so much of the storytelling and engaging with consumers and influencers and bartenders and just, you know, being agile and using all those trending words right now. But still saying <laughs> pivoting, connected. agile, transitioning, yes. Yeah. <laughs> all, all the words. So I'm going to start off with talking about, you know, it's funny, you guys are both in whiskey, but you both have had other roles before your current job and you were both part-time brand ambassador. So I want you to tell me a little bit of what your responsibilities were and what the pluses and minuses were for being part-time, because this is a role a lot of bartenders get hired for. You know, they want to get into this role. They want to try it out. But, you know, it's not always what it cracks up to be. So uh, Jenna, why don't you start? Who were you part-time with and the the good parts about the job and the, you know, the hardships of being part-time? Yeah. So when I was still bartending, I got a part-time gig with Pisco Portone. I think they might have changed the name since then. But I think it's still Pisco Portone. Have they changed the name? I don't know. I Maybe, but the the packaging changed a little bit. (laughs) I think the packaging. Um, Yeah, it was a great, like, like I said, like you said, being part time is a great way to kind of transition into this world. You get to learn some new skills, kind of easier, get your feet a little wet in what it's like to be a a brand ambassador. But definitely has its challenges. Like I walked in there basically blindfolded. I did not know anything about corporate jargon or, you know, 
words, acronyms, nothing. So it's it's a little <laughs> bit overwhelming. But I, I do think as a career bartender, it's a great way to also look at our world from a different perspective. And then also, you know, maybe decide if completely walking away from the bar is right for you. I, I know so many people that have like driven their car into that brand ambassador like garage. And after two weeks, <laughs> immediately hit reverse and was like, I want out of here. So uh, I think it's a good way to get your feet wet and see if it's something that is is interesting, even though it has its challenges. But it's it's also fun to be able to visit all your friends' bars and experiment with products and cocktails and you know, look for those cocktail menu placements at a, at, with people that you are your colleagues. So um, although it's challenging maybe to juggle part-time with still also working behind the bar yourself, I, I think it's a great way to see if this world is kind of like right for you. True. But as, as you said about juggling the time, you know, for you, like, you know, you might get hired for 20 hours, but how many hours are you really working? 40. <laughs> a <laughs> Let's lot. be honest. 40. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and also at all times of the day, I mean, Taylor, maybe you could tell me this, but like it, you sometimes start at nine and then you're not going, you know. Oh, we just oh, lost Taylor. We just lost oh, him. Hopefully he comes back. All right. I'm assuming um, he'll yeah, be back on. Yeah. You were bartending till, you know, three, four in the morning. And then I don't know, starting off yeah, uh, and that, those daytime meetings really get you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, one of the things that I definitely saw and, and hopefully Taylor, I know he had some technical difficulties before is able to get back on. Because, you know, one of the things that I saw was a problem. I was helping consulting for the cocktail guru was a sometimes the clients had big expectations for what a part time brand ambassador could be. And I'd be like, I think that's a little unrealistic. You know, we can try, but I don't think, you know, they're not sales reps. And then two brand bartenders sometimes had unrealistic expectations of what they could achieve. I'm like, okay, so you're working six days a week. You get off Sundays and and you're saying on Sundays day that you're gonna go out and be the brand ambassador and they're like oh yeah I could totally do that I'm like no it's too much no you can't yeah. <laughs> it's and too you can't. much it's not sustainable really for your own that not... no it definitely but there was definitely some positive things didn't you let it like you were working with a small company and you and you got to work like learn a few things talk about that a bit yeah I think working for a smaller brand gives you an opportunity to like. I, I don't really love this terminology that much, but like you do get to kind of get a seat at the table in some maybe aspects that normally you wouldn't have the opportunity to do, like sit in with the distributor supplier meeting where they're talking about incentives or, you know, I, I think you have an opportunity to, especially with a small brand, see a lot of nuances that are part of the business mm-hmm. that maybe from a bigger brand perspective, you don't get to see, I don't. No, you're right. I, I think working for a smaller company has great advantages if you take advantage of them. So sometimes, you know, people never get to the corporate office because they're being hired and their main office is in, you know, Boston and they're living in Chicago. So they might not be in those meetings. And now via Zoom, you probably can be. But it is also a lot about asking to be part of this meeting. It's, it's something I encourage a lot of brand ambassadors, and I'm actually mentoring somebody right now. And I'm like, you know, when she gets her feet wet, I'm like, ask to be part of the the meeting, you know, Giuseppe Gallo talked about from Italicus, how one of the ways he felt confident to launch his own brand is that when he realized that, you know, his, he had hit his peak of being a brand ambassador for him, it was like the fourth or fifth year. And he knew he was going to want to do something else. And he started working in innovation and things of that nature. And he said, you know, I started asking to sit in meetings. 
And I took so many notes. He's like, I just sat there and I took notes because I, I started learning how the commercial part of the business worked and how the distributor part worked and how, you know, a legal part worked for like, he's like, I learned so much. He's like, so I was actually getting a paid education to learn how to launch my own brand while working for somebody else. That's so funny you mentioned that because I, I, I completely agree with you. And one of the things that I think, you know, if you're new coming into this business, it's a, a nice little tip is to never kind of say no. You know, like maybe it feels overwhelming to present to Hilton's corporate about your brands and you sit at this meeting and you're like, I do not belong here. Like they're presenting like a marketing structure. Like we're talking about mandated cocktails and bottles like across all the Hiltons. I'm like, I don't belong here. But if they're going to ask me to be there, I'm definitely going to be there because you never know what being in that meeting can bring for the next step of, of, you know, your career or a connection you make or, um, you know, a new job opportunity, even if you're happy in your role, it's always nice to be able to have like those one-off connections. And um, oh, yeah. even though they can seem like overwhelming situations to put yourself in, we do belong there because we're the expert, right? We're supposed, we're supposed yeah, to we're be the, the expert. expert. Exactly. And the thing is, they asked you. So they obviously right. have confidence in you more than you had in yourself. They wouldn't ask you if they didn't feel you should be in the meeting. And it's believing in that, like, oh, they did ask me. So they much have that faith. And that's imposter syndrome. We all deal with it. Like, am I prepared? Am I the right person in this meeting? I'll never forget one of the most nerve wracking meetings. So Diageo just brought Ciroc, right? It just made, they'd already owned Ciroc, but they made the deal with Diddy, right? So P. Diddy, and we go to the Sean Combs offices, and I now have to train P. Diddy on Ciroc, right? Oh, wow. So I'm not nervous about P. Diddy at all, because I'm like, he doesn't know fuck all about the product. So I could say whatever I want, and he's not going to call me out on it, right? So I'm like, he's just P. Diddy. Like, him and I right. just have to find a way to jive and get along and like... You know, and he doesn't give a shit how it's really made. He just wants to know the key points and the romance of the story, right? And he was super cool. But the person I was nervous about was in that room was the CFO, the CMO, like all the senior executives. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, I'm more nervous about presenting to them. And you know what I realized? They don't know anything about products either. They're marketing people. <laughs> they don't know anything. They're I like, love that they just have to be in the room with Teddy. They don't know either. You can so. talk about just yeah, they don't know either. That's not their job to know. That's not why right. they're there. They didn't get hired because they know everything there is about distillation. Taylor's back. Yay. Yeah. Woo Taylor, we were just we were just talking about being in the room. We were talking about some of the benefits of being part-time, which was the fact that you sometimes get pulled into if you're in a smaller with a smaller brand, you sometimes get in, brought into meetings and get exposed to new information that you might not have, like how distributor deals work or like Maybe you're pulled into important meetings where you're like, oh, fuck, why am I here? Like uh, Jenna was saying, unless you was at, you know, in the, in the Hilton, like corporate and like presenting the brands. And I was telling a story about like having to present to P. Diddy, but I wasn't nervous about him because he doesn't know anything about the product. I was more nervous about the CMO and the CFOs that were all in the room. And then I was just saying, but they don't know anything either. Like they're not there because they're experts on distillation they're there because they're experts on business <laughs> so as long as you present the brand in a way that connects like to the audience you're with they're like great this is Brenna. thank you so much elaine <laughs> yeah, so taylor I'm yeah have you had experience like that being in those places where you you know didn't think you should be but you're like fuck it well i mean initially and to go way back to the you know the the, the first bit of the question and, and sort of the benefit of the part-time nature but yeah. then that evolution of, of who made you nervous and what rooms and sort of 
who were you concerned about? For me, it was it was my colleagues in the cocktail world that I was most worried about out the gate. Oh yeah, you know I I came in and I'm you know helping Remy at the time launch Brook Lottie here and you know knew what I thought was a load about gin, you know, and wanted to speak about the entire category and, you know, really quickly realized that the folks that I was most concerned about were my peers because, you know, they were the ones who were the wealth of information. So, you know, was never fortunate enough to be presenting anything to P. Diddy, but I don't think, (laughs) you know, similarly though, I don't think I would have been as nervous there because I would have walked into that room and been like, heck yes, I'm the product expert here. I'm the category expert. But when you're in a room full of category experts, which is what they had me doing early days, it was really intimidating. That is nerve wracking. I think, you know, in hindsight was probably a great way to start because that is the most critical audience. So doing that in a part-time capacity and getting my feet wet in that way, I think was really great because yeah, in terms of starstruck, not, not too concerned, but you know, a room full of intelligent people who know their craft, you got to be on your toes. No, you're right. That is probably the most intimidating audience. I was always right. I'm like, oh my God, like I'm going to get called on my shit. Like me, I don't know. Like I know a lot, but I know might not know as much as all of them. And suddenly they're going to ask me a technical question and, I, and I'm and i going to be like, she's a fake. She doesn't really know anything. I'm like, I know a lot of stuff back in the day. I was like, I know, I know a lot, but like, yeah, I'm not saying I'm the like most ultimate, you know, expert on all things. And it is, extremely nerve-wracking. The person that makes me nervous the most is Don Lee. Don Lee, do you know Don Lee? And then, so yeah. Don Lee, oh, of course, you're in the CAP program. So Don Lee calls me on my shit all the time. So I'll be doing like a presentation and I remember I was in Mexico for Tales on Tour and I was presenting something and I got a, like a year wrong. And I said something like the 1800s and it was supposed to be like the 1700s, which is a pretty big difference. And I just kind of like, you know, went through it and he he pulls me aside. He's like, but he he gave me a good point. He's like, Lane, okay, so it was the 1800s, not the 1700s. And I was like, oh, yeah, that shit. I I totally got that, you know, and I was like, "Ah, you know, it's fine. You know, it's like nobody's going to like, you know, it's not going to ruin anybody. He's like, no, you're the expert they're going to repeat what you said. So if you get it wrong, then they're going to get it wrong. And then it goes on. And I was like, that's a, that's a good point. I was like, I probably should take that a little more. Cause I was like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, we're talking about the killer. And I was like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. And then I was like, I was like, that's a good point. I was like, you're right. It, it does matter. That definitely does matter. It, it and every time I see him like, coming in my room, I was like, oh fuck, I hope I don't get it. <laughs> well, that is too. Or honestly, like sometimes I'll say something and, you know, I do wholeheartedly mean it. Like you said, it slipped. It was like a slip of time. I'm not also a walking encyclopedia. We have to remind ourselves our own brand facts, you know? So even though we're kind of a walking encyclopedia, but I have to remind myself, there's a million dates that we all have to remember and know and all that. But it is true. I'll catch myself about to maybe say something. And then I'm like, you know what? I can't remember if that's actually true. I'm just going to avoid saying that at all. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's move on to the next topic. Just uh, skip, over that, or, skip over that let's point. Skip that one. Yeah. Or I love the line, as best I understand it, or as best I recall, that's yes. just that legal buffer of not speaking in absolutes where it's like, there's room yes. for error here. Yeah. yeah. There is room that's for great. error. Yeah. No, no, that's really good. Yeah. I, you know, as best as I understand it, from what I recall, mm-hmm. Like, this is the one I remember because I have this bad habit. I talk with such conviction about things, certain things. So Philip actually called me. He's like, Elaine, you say things with such confidence. He's like, so everybody believes the things that are coming out of your mouth. And he's like, and I know they're full of shit. So stop. And it's nothing important. It's just like bullshit stuff that I'm like saying. 
I'm like, I know, but it's not really anything that matters. He's like, I know, but you say it like so like convincingly. I'm like, it's got me where I am today. I just say things and people are like, oh, it must be right. Elaine said it's right. So I, I was like, my bosses all seem to believe it. So <laughs> like, that's what matters. Sure, we got that presentation done. It's all good. Still writing it. All right. So did you have any, Taylor, did you have any to that point about being part-time? Like, did you have any, like, negatives about being part-time or, like, things that you're like, wow, this is something that people should be aware of if they're taking part-time roles? Like, there's a struggle to it? Or was it all fabulous and great? <laughs> well, yeah, pros and cons. I, th- I think the positives for me at the time were still that flexibility and freedom to then get back behind the cocktail bar and, you know, work with any brands I wanted to and, and not feel tied to any portfolio. Because, you know, if you go full time and you still try to dabble behind a bar, you need to be very mindful of that. For my experience, and this wasn't to knock anyone involved in my experience, but I, it, I wasn't, you know, managing my own business. I wasn't running my own programs. I was just being slotted into a program. So there was none of the administrative side of things. I really didn't see much of the back end, I saw all the like, show up and have fun and talk about gin and get your, <laughs> get your buddies excited about it. And I was like, well, yeah, I can do this. So it was a bit of a, a false sense of reality right out of the gates. Although, you know, there was a lot of positive in that lack of responsibility if I'm looking to balance the two. So I think it's just being very aware that, you know, a part-time capacity representing a brand versus the full-time and really representing yourself along with the brand and, and managing your business are two very, very different things. But it's a phenomenal foot into this world. It's also a great opportunity to understand, you know, do these brands resonate with me? Or, you know, yes, I love using them behind the bar, but are, is this the way I'm going to want to tell a story? Is this the story I want to tell? And are these people that I want to work with? Because for me, just as important as the brands, I think, you know, are the people behind them and the way they want you to tell the stories. And so, so pros and cons, but I loved it. And, you know, heck, I, I wouldn't change a thing. And, you know, it's why I am where I am. <laughs> no, I think that's a good point about the people you're going to work with, because, you know, as I've done these and I've gotten to speak with people from at least, oh my God, up to 19 companies by now and different brands. I'm like, wow, I want to work for that company. Like I think about my experience was so different and their experience and how they're working with their company. And I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. Like that sounds like, cause there is, there's so many different experiences and how people manage you and how you, they operate. So it's just having the balls to move from where you are to go to another one and test something out. And a great way of doing that is going to speak to people who actually work there. Like, do you like this experience? You like working with these people and ask for the truth, feed them a you know, like, just like, I need you to be honest. Because <laughs> sometimes people, it takes a lot for them to bad mouth mm-hmm. their company. Yeah, I, I love that. Because I agree with you, like, about surrounding yourself with like minded people. I'm so fortunate, like, it would be very hard for me to leave my role. Because I love Dom, Venegas and Rob Ferreira so much. We are like family. Yeah. So we joke constantly about like, what's going to happen if we have to break up the bands? Like, you know, they're, <laughs> they're honestly like my brothers and we've become so close throughout this journey that it makes our job way more fun, way easier. And to collaborate together is just like so fantastic because we all bring something also different to the table, you know? So. Yeah. Which is great because I didn't get that. I had a lot of Taylor and I had very similar what he is now. Like I had so much autonomy that I kind of operated in my own little bubble, uh, you know, so I didn't have a lot of collaboration with other brand ambassadors. I would try because I realized at one point I didn't have any KPIs anymore. 
So I was making all these menu placements because people would come to the Diageo bar and I would just work with them. I didn't have to go to accounts. Accounts came to me at, at a certain point. So I literally, I would just have appointment after appointment. So I would start sending out my, my placements. I'd be like, who needs some placements? I'm like, here you go. Here's like, here's mm-hmm. 10 bars. I got like, here's like, you know, you want some Don Julio placements? I got five over here. I got five. Right? I was, that's the only way I bonded. I was like, I'm just going to share like the placements. Cause they, if somebody needed some, mm-hmm. I was like, I already got these and it doesn't matter for me, but it, and I know it, it might help you out, but yeah, that, yeah, I'm very jealous of that because that and most whiskey companies, like I know for Diageo, the whiskey brand ambassadors really worked a lot together and the tequila ones. I worked on the entire portfolio and I was the only one. So I had this weird, weird role. And as Taylor says, sometimes it can get a little, we talked about this yesterday, it can get a little bit lonely. A hundred percent. I think that's one of the, the biggest challenges of this job is we're on the road a lot. Sometimes you're traveling a lot. It goes in waves, but like it's, I think that's one of the challenges is you are so connected yet so disconnected. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, with your own personal life, like I hadn't been home for last year, right before all this happened in the world for like three months, you know, I miss Mm -hmm. my partner. I miss my dog, you know, those those other things that we need physically as like humans and mentally. Yeah, let's talk about that. That was going to be the next question. Let's talk about like, as a brand ambassador, obviously, there's some great positives, you know, expense accounts, traveling, Mm -hmm. I miss my expense accounts so much, you know, traveling on somebody else's dime and and getting, you know, get to see all these new cities. But there's also a lot of, well, let's talk about some of the challenges that you've experienced and like some of the systems you might have put in place to handling them. I know, Jenna, we talked a little bit about scheduling. That was a big one. So talk yeah. a little bit more about that. Like, what's the challenge there? I think there's a big challenge there because you kind of, like you said, we were just coming off talking about sometimes you can feel like you're on your own island in this job. So you're kind of managing your own schedule and figuring out your own ways of working because nobody nobody's there to kind of tell you how to do that. You kind of just have to roll with the punches and figure it out on your own. That's the interesting part of this job is all of the management of your own time, a little mm-hmm. bit of work-life balance while you're on the road. I mean, I had to learn that I needed to not show up or I needed to like t- have them schedule in my road trip time that I wanted to go to the gym in my hotel because I needed that. Mm-hmm. And I, even though you maybe wanted to start our meetings at 9 a.m., I need 9 to 10 to kind of like have my coffee and reset myself for the day. And I probably visited all of my friends' bars and I four. So you need to like kind of own that schedule and that management of your time. And not, no, not let somebody great. else own it, you know? Yeah. I think, I think that, that's that, great. Uh, just to that point, like early on, you know, and I, I'll never speak for anyone else, although I feel like I've seen this in others and I certainly experienced it, that I, a, I was so enamored with this, you know, career and excited and passionate. And I was, you know, traveling around and on other people's times and connecting with my friends that there's that, that line of, Hey, this doesn't feel like work. So it, it really quickly can consume all aspects of your life. And then, you know, to Jenna's point of just taking that step back and really taking control of, you know, effective and appropriate communication of you putting your time first and foremost, because, you know, if, if you schedule your time first and foremost, take care of yourself, you're going to be so much more effective and productive than anything else. And it was hard for me early on. I I am still and always will be, you know, a yes man, but it's saying yes, but, you know, when, when can we do this or where do we ship this to rather than just yes, yes, yes all the time and look back two years later and realize you've been 
burning the wick at both ends and it's caught up with you, which I think really commonly happens. So, you know, just really echo what Jenna's touching on in that, honestly, my priority now and, and one of the, you know, later questions of do you have any advice is I put my own schedule first and foremost in terms of when I look at my calendar, I, I, mm-hmm. schedule, my pers- I schedule my personal time and then I build my work calendar around that because if you don't, it, it creeps up on you because we do have nope. so much fun. We are traveling the world. We are talking about <laughs> whiskey and you know parties but no it's a big one like I had to learn to like I had to learn like yeah same thing like getting the schedule time like for me now in my life like my Sunday is my planning day so I plan my entire week like actually I plan my next two weeks so I book in all my gym appointments like my Pilates like classes I've have them all booked in so I look at my schedule and it's like okay I booked my classes in so I know it's gonna happen I know I don't I don't try to take any meetings before 10 a.m. because I like my morning. I get up every day around. I am a pretty early person. So I get up like 6.30 every day and I meditate and I, and I, you know, do my affirmations and things of that nature. I've gotten all spiritual in my old age, but, you know, and, but they really help me. But I also have learned that like, I do my best work, like whatever my most important project is, I work on from seven to 10. No distractions, seven to 10. I just work on that. I don't work on anything else. I don't look at my emails. I don't look at anything else. It's my time and I'm able to bang out like so much work. And I, on my Sunday, I schedule my week. So I look at like, okay, here's all my projects. I've, I've learned this actually work for Anheuser Books. I will break them all down to tiny little pieces. And it's like, okay, so how much time do I have this week? What's already in the schedule? What pieces am I going to take care of this week? So it could be sometimes like literally like, I'm just going to answer that one email based on this project. And I'm going to write the the title slides for the presentation. And that's it. If I do that over the course of the week and I schedule that in for Wednesday, between 10 and 11. So I really do schedule out my time because I have learned like if my day is scheduled, I don't have to think about it. Like I just go, oh, what's next on the schedule? Boom. And I just do the next thing. Oh, I have calls between, you know, one and two. Like that's when I take all my bullshit calls or whatever it is. By the way, they say there's a great book called When and tells you when you should do things and when you shouldn't and never take any good business calls, like serious ones between 12 and two. Most people will say no. They literally say like CFO, like if people present like their business statistics and they're like, and it could even be positive, like we're up on the year, people will still hear it as a negative and stocks drop. So they always present their like stocks and stuff like that before 11 because people have a more positive vibe. So I never have like business, like serious business meetings. If I'm pitching to a client, I never do between noon and two. I think because your blood sugar is lower. I don't know. But yeah, just things you learn about life. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, but it's just something I've learned to do. It takes time. Like every Sunday I have to spend like two hours, like mapping out my week, but then I find I I'm able to get so much more done. And my days are like, I take all the thinking out of my day. It's like, this is just how my day is going to roll. And I scheduled in my, my free time. Like I'm meeting even my friends with drinks, you know, I'm like, I'm Friday night. I'm having drinks with my friends. Like I'll book that on Sunday as well. Like when I'm meeting my friends and when I'm talking to somebody. It's amazing. You're, you're, inspiring me <laughs> i it usually is, make it, my to-do it, list in the morning but yeah it, it's anal but it, it, i have i used to hate it and then i learned it just made my day so much more productive so yeah it's you know two hours on sunday you kill like do, do before brunch <laughs> and and, and get it. it done but anyway that's what i what i what i do and i also have a great app called Todoist. i love it it's a great app it's a to-do list I highly recommend it. You can move things around and schedule your day. It's, it's fantastic. Anyway, 
So challenge, I went off on a tangent. So let's talk about challenges. So we're talking about scheduling is a challenge. Being alone is a challenge. We also talked about, Jenna, I know you had some, or or Taylor, if you had something else that you wanted to add. Sorry, I realized I was... Just, I think to go, you know, with so much of this, that helping our counterparts and colleagues really have a, a, an understanding of what it is that we're doing on a day-to-day basis and like transparency and... Mm-hmm. Early on for me, it became over communicating then. And then people like, okay, we don't need to hear from you anymore. We know you're, you know, you're working 20 <laughs> hours a day, but especially when some of these, you know, ambassador roles or engagement roles are new to an organization, there's always a bit of a divide. And I don't mean to speak for everybody, but I think a bit of a divide between sales and the marketing folks, whether it's field marketing or, you know, the creatives in the office. So for me, you know, one of the challenges was just really helping the team to understand what it is that I'm doing a, on a daily basis, but also how I, I drive value and how I also provide value for them. So mm-hmm. yeah, that was certainly a, a hurdle for me. But once I overcame it, once I, you know, found that sweet spot of, you know, clear lines of communication and open communication, then it was, you know, just hitting the ground running. How did you let them know? How did you um, let them know? Like, so for me, just like you, I live and die by my calendar and I, I will give anyone and everyone blue transparency to my calendar so much so that people are like, okay, heck, we get it. So, you know, <laughs> I think for me, just transparency and also just being as inclusive as possible because whether it's the sales team or colleagues working on the marketing side of things, um, you know, just like Jenna was mentioning earlier, I find the more people I collaborate with, even if they've got the exact same job title, they've got a different skill set. So, you know, bring something different to a project I may already be working on that, you know, I'm just making them aware of. And all of a sudden they've got this great idea that elevates it. Um, so yep. collaborate, collaboration and communication for me have, have solved almost all problems, but have, have, I think been a paramount to uh, my success in, in this world. No, I think it's a great point. Do you also find that sometimes, I don't know if this is true for you too, but like if I start, you know, when you're working in your own head, right, you have an idea but then when you say it out loud to somebody else, like suddenly more ideas spark or it reconfirms what you're talking about. Like the minute you have that conversation with your other teammates, you're like, oh, poof. you're like, holy crap. Like the thing I've been struggling with now is just come clear. All the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah all, all the time. I, I just want to touch on that point that you said, Taylor, about there's a little disconnect, right, between some of the nuances of our business. I think that's also a challenge in this world for us as brand ambassadors is sometimes every once in a while, somebody new will come into a, you know, a position within our company or something. And it's kind of unfortunate that sometimes we have to reprove all over again yeah. the purpose of our role and what we're doing in an organization that we already have worked for maybe for many years. And there's a con, there is a consistency there that like all of a sudden I'm, I'm having to prove again my worth, which yep. is is crazy to me that um, that happens fairly often in these jobs that we have. It's like, no, what it, is the purpose? But it's like the purpose is actually huge, you know? Marketing in general, right? Like return on marketing investment is a new term. Like, you know, historically sales folks, it's like, okay, here are your dollars for advertising, you know, which has become marketing. It's like, we just assume this is a wash, you know, going back 30, 40 years. Mm-hmm. Like, put, it, put it into whatever you think you're putting it into, but... We have no real tangible way of evaluating this. And I think for a lot of folks who, and we need the, the sales team, and there's so much sales in everything we do, but there are a, a lot of those, you know, very traditional sales minds. There's still that, okay, how do I, how do I evaluate what it is that you're doing? And therefore, yeah, I- Yeah, there's no ROI. Concept proof, right. 
Right. There is no ROI for a brand ambassador. No, you know how many times in Diageo, the brand ambassadors were on the chopping block? All the so time. many times. All the time. Like the entire program would be sitting in somebody's office and like I'd be called into a meeting because I was probably one of the most senior and, you know, having to have that conversation. Like, why do you think that like I have to I'm like, oh, so I have to sell it in for every like, OK, like this is what we do and this is the value. I almost feel like we need our own testimonial page like here. Like, let's just get testimonial from all the accounts we work with and why they love working with us. And this is why they carry the brand, because we're working with them. And this is the programs we have. And then get them from the sales reps. And like, we have to have a PowerPoint presentation. Like here, every time that happens, just like, here, here you go. All right. <laughs> all this is this is what this is. So I don't have to have this conversation with you. Just read that and we'll be good. All right. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Because it sucks. It's stressful. It it's is so stressful, stressful to wake up every day not knowing if everything that you've worked so hard for is just going to be gone, you know? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. No, it, it really is. It's really that it definitely challenges. And, and one of the things actually, Jenna, you also talked about last today was like, we're talking about being in a market and like making sure your your schedule, you know, you're working within a schedule, your time's being used productively. Like you said, they do a pretty good job at that. And I want to talk about you use a tool. The team uses a tool called Lilypad, right? Mm-hmm. Talk, talk about because Taylor, have you ever heard of this? No, I'm not. Lilypad? No. Yeah, yeah. it's an Jenna, interesting. Can you tell us how it works? Yeah, it's an interesting system. I mean, it's obvi- it's definitely laid out for targeted sales goals, but I help. I think it does kind of help us showcase a little bit of what our ROI is because yeah. we're able to log like uh, we went to this account and we sold in a cocktail menu placement or I did specifically or something and I can log that and it'll spit back data to us about like what I did with these accounts again it's not it it doesn't at the end of the day say you know for me specifically since this happened, X, Y, Z amount of cases happened. No, that you would be helpful. Cross-reference the data, <laughs> you know, like maybe. But it's just a great tracking system to kind of figure out where you've been. You can look if there's a lot of times I, I'll go to another city, for example, Charleston. Now it's been a year and a half since I've been to Charleston. I've forgotten where I went, so I can go back and look, and it'll tell me the data of like. At this time, this person was working there. This is the sales rep. If you really need to know, you know, these are the products that they carry. And I can update that data as well. So that's it's a really useful tool. Of course, all of those tools need tweaks for our business and our world. Always. But you also um, said you can look up the, the, the sales reps use it, right? So they uh, put the buyer's information and stuff like that. So you'll yeah. know who the buyer is. Yeah. So if I'm um, going in blind, I can look up the account ahead of time and say, so great. they're there, they've been there. And these are the people that they're interacting with. And, you know, I always like to refer to the brand ambassadors as like the good cop, right? We're the fun part. Mm. We're, we're, not the, uh, we're not there to put any pressure on anybody. We're just there to like be the good cop. And like, we have the best opportunity to interact with people also organically. So it's just a really great little tool to be able to use. So you're not just co- totally going into these places without any sort of idea. No, which I think yeah. is great because research is important. I, and I was telling Jenna yesterday, Taylor, that Xavier Harit from Grand Marnier, he has this great system that I, I'm totally stealing. I'm actually, I started one for New York where he uses Google Maps. So in Google Maps, he, every time he goes to a city, he creates his own map. And then you can put the places you've been. So you can create a map, like here's Chicago. And then you could, if, I did it myself. He's like, you go in, you X off, like you mark off the place you went. And then there's a notes. I didn't know this existed until I did my own. And then like, you can X off the place you've been. And then you can write notes like, oh, I spoke to this buyer. I did all this. 
So when your trip is over, you can see your map of all the accounts you went to, all the people you spoke to. So it's like a great reference tool to like know like what you did. So you can have a great recap as well, right? So when you're there, you can exit off. But also like, you know, that question would say, hey, I'm going to, you know, Boston next week. Do you have any places to go? You can literally just send them your map. Like here, here are the places that, you know, I've been and these are the ones I recommend because I always found that really annoying, but necessary. <laughs> what? And it's so key, right? I, I, we were touching on this yesterday and I was actually speaking to some colleagues that, you know, we use CRM tools as well. We use Salesforce and a, and a couple others and, and really effectively, you know, to have predominantly led by the sales team, what's happening in their account, but that we can go in there and communicate as well or, you know, catch up on what may already be happening in there. We're very fortunate here in Ontario that that is all tied to data. And with, this is, you know, for argument's sake, the largest control state in the world, the LCBO is the largest purser of liquor in the world. So to be able to see everything that's tied to that's great. every account and have intelligent conversations with the account as well, because, you know, oftentimes they go into an account and they'll be like, oh, you know, we sell 80 cases of this and, you know, we're, we're just crushing it. And you look up their numbers and you say, oh yeah, that's like so phenomenal. Actually, you're only looking at eight cases in the last, you know, rolling 13. Yeah, you can go on there. No, it's yeah. on there, but just have those phenomenal resources and use the tools. And then, you know, as I, I say to folks quite often, especially when they're getting their feet wet in this world, that I think we get so focused on getting out there and, and creating the excitement and the energy that we forget to account for it. And without the accounting for it, the work really doesn't account yeah. for anything. So yeah, these these little tools and the reporting always seems taxing at first. And it's like, hey, why, why are you holding me back from getting out there and preaching the gospel of whatever whiskey or, you know, whatever it is I'm supposed to be chatting about? And it's, you know, without accounting for that, without intelligently sharing that internally, it's not really worth much. Um, no, it's not. So it's it, like the tree falls in a room, a, a tree falls in the woods and nobody, if, you know, if nobody heard it, that did it really fall? Like, does it count? You know, I think that's, that's the expression it. of something. And it is like that. It's like you people need to know what you're doing. The worst thing you do is like your boss wondering what you're doing all the time. That, that could, you know, that could be some of the the worst things that your boss, so I always say, get your reports in on time and get your expenses in on time. And for the most part, they'll leave you alone. Totally. <laughs> it's like you can just keep doing your job. Totally. Um, Be prepared right. for the admin because it's going to come with the job. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Taylor, I want to get because you had an interesting transition. So you went from a shoe chef, a sous chef to a bartender to a mixologist. Well, bartender slash mixologist, right? To a molecular mixologist, right? Because you do molecular as well. And if I don't get these all right in order, I apologize. <laughs> and then you are a part-time brand ambassador for Botanist Gin and Brook Lottich, which I didn't spell correctly in your question. So I apologize for that. Couldn't figure out how to spell. I'm like, I have no idea how to spell that whiskey. <laughs> to becoming a brand ambassador for Jack Daniels, right? So this is definitely, and I'm reading this because I run, it's a, it is a massive transition. There's that word transition or pivot roles in the world that you spent time in, right? So like... Going from the molecular and and from botanist gin and brooklottage, which is definitely in a different types of accounts, different people that you're having conversations with, to transitioning to working full time on Jack Daniels, which was your first role, and then you went to what was all but your first role, which required you to spending a lot of time with college kids. Like, but you had such a great attitude about it, right? I, but I know it was challenging. So I just want you to talk a bit about that because it's a very interesting career path. Like I'm going from that world into the Jack funny, Daniels world. Hear, yeah, when I hear someone else tell it, it sounds a little more sporadic than it's felt. And, and it, <laughs> it was it's because this whole time- I mean, it was I over years. Like, 
Yeah, and well, yeah, no, the last month has been busy. It felt like <laughs> a natural progression all along because I was still so connected to the same core industry and a lot of the same folks that the, the transition from culinary into cocktails made a ton of sense. You know, at first, as I was saying, when I, when I started cocktail bartending, it was on my days off from the kitchen because I wanted to learn both sides of the business. I, you know, in my early 20s, thought eventually I would own a restaurant or bar of my own and only at that time knew the back of house. And I just wanted to know all angles of the business and very quickly fell in love with cocktail bartending because it was so transferable from the culinary world. But as it may or may not be obvious, I love engaging with people. So rather than speaking, <laughs> it's a little obvious. Rather than, yeah. Rather than speaking to the same four people every day and preparing you know, the same dishes over and over and over again, which I did love, it was like a new passion was or a new flame was lit, but still being able to apply the same skills in a certain way. And then that just really sort of, I think, flowed into that part-time advocacy and ambassadorship as ambassadorship was really even becoming a thing here in Canada. And, you know, we were a couple of years behind what was happening in, you know, New York, Chicago, Portland, San Fran, that, you know, brands were just catching wind of the fact that, hey, you know, if we get credible folks from the industry to speak to our brands, that, that's good for us. And that's really where the, the part-time ambassadorship started. And those brands really resonated with me at the time because I already had the silly mustache and the, and the waistcoats. And <laughs> I love it. I was... I was really living in the cocktail world. So, you know, looking at that portfolio at the time made a ton of sense. And then, you know, we spoke about this yesterday. And one of the biggest questions Brown Foreman had for me when I was interviewing for the role were, hey, you just came from, you know, a very high-end gym, like purely focused at high-end restaurants in the cocktail world. And and now you're you're looking at Jack Daniels old number seven. You know, like what are your what are your thoughts on that? And I was just excited about the opportunities the challenges we're gonna present. You know, I, I really quickly realized that I was going to spend less time with my quote unquote friends, at least while working in terms of in the cocktail world. But it just it was it was new, exciting challenges. And for me, because it was still tied to the same industry and I was still engaging with folks and it still felt like I was winning people over on a daily basis to something that I was genuinely proud of. I still that that thread always felt like it was there, even though, as you tell my story, it does feel very disconnected. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a, it's a huge, it's a, it's an, it, it speaks true. It speaks a lot about who you are as a person, like that you roll with the punches and you just accept challenges for what they are. And like, this is a new thing and this is an exciting adventure. And not everybody has that attitude. It might be a very big disconnect to going from very fancy cocktail bars to suddenly you're in dive bars shooting t-shirts out of a cannon. Right. And I think I, <laughs> Which also I, sounds fun to me. I don't know. Okay, it right. does. So I, I should, you know, I should include that I came from like high end cocktail bar. And then I, I quickly opened a spot that was like, I, we were called home of the brave. It was like, it was supposed to be like Americana in Toronto, like loud music, fun dive bar. I had two slushy machines and sure enough, and this had nothing to do with the role, but one of them was a Jack and Coke because like what at the time to us in Toronto was like more Americana in a dive bar than like, let's sell PBRs and jello shots and Jack and Coke slushies. So I would still like, putting this like cocktail twist on it because I was putting bitters in my Jack and Coke slushies and I haven't stuck with the recipe. But, you know, so it was, I think about, yeah, approaching the challenges, still having fun with it and always being able to put my own thumbprint on it in some way, shape or form while still staying within, you know, that brand framework and making sure that I was representing the brands in the right way, but also representing myself in the right way. Which, which, 
which is great because it, it really is not, and you know, not everybody could make that transition. And there was a good question I asked you because some people, but that's a good call. It's like, really, is this really you? This is who you want to, to be like, you know, I've always lived that it would be hard for me. It would be very like back in the day. And I'm talking like, you know, 15 years ago, even then, but, but it would have been hard because I've always lived in the, I like living in the luxury world. I, I like spending yeah. my time with Daniel Balud and and, <laughs> and it'd be very nice. hard. And I love a good dive bar, but I, it couldn't be my 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 world. I'd be faking it too hard. It's like I'd be really, <laughs> you know, and just be really faking it too hard. My, so it, I noticed my I like my bigger it. challenge. My bigger challenge was what I was doing with my expense accounts on Woodford Reserve. I was eating at like you know you could get a great salad every night. I was eating you know sushi restaurants, whatever you want. Whereas Jack Daniels, I realized like I'm regularly on the search for the best barbecue and or fried chicken. So the, the meal plan. <laughs> hey, I love it though. Bit. That's, that's <laughs> hilarious. It is true. That is so valid. <laughs> yeah, that, that is that is very, very well. Well, let's talk about that because also, you know, both of you have done something really well. And I think it's about, you know, networking. So networking is such an essential tool to building your career. And it's not something that comes natural to everybody. Yes, obviously, if you're working in the bar industry, you get to know people and you're talking to them. But then it's building on those connections, right? And and knowing how to take advantage. And I love something. I know, Jenna, you used your marketing. We talked about this, what you did during COVID. You know, you used your marketing background and then your relationships with some of the senior executives to actually present some great ideas. And that takes a lot of confidence to be able to like, hey, I have something valid I want to talk to you about. And and then Taylor, we're going to talk about how you utilize your network and, and you have this philosophy about capitalizing on opportunities. So, and that's how it kind of, you got where you are. So Jenna, talk a bit, a little bit about like how that worked, like, you know, how using your network and, and how you presented these ideas to them during this really strenuous time. Yeah, I think, you know, it's weird. I never, I never really wanted to end up in marketing, even though I, that was like my educational background. And then I knew I didn't really want to do that. So I moved to Chicago to go to art school and be a graphic designer. That didn't work out either. I mean, it's a, it's a, not a luxury business to be a graphic designer and the money isn't that great. So, yeah. uh, yeah. So for me, I was like, how do I meld that world into like what I'm doing now when I was bartending and it, you know, the rise of the brand ambassador just so happened to me at a time when I moved to Chicago. So I ended up in this world on accident, but I've used those tools that I learned in my, you know, formal education to kind of elevate what I'm doing now, which gives me an opportunity to talk, like you said, to maybe more higher up executive level people. And I think the pandemic and the virtual life gave us that opportunity as well. I never really interacted with people in HQ in New York at the office um, because I was a field employee. That was my job. But now we're all sitting there on these screens talking to each other. So we had the opportunity to present our ideas. And so- Mm -hmm. Using them like marketing and they, I'm really good at creating PowerPoints because it's my graphic design background. They look beautiful. <laughs> well, who doesn't want to look at something that's pretty? Taylor's been idea? learning a lot about this. Taylor's been spending his time perfecting his PowerPoint right? skills. So I mean, it yeah. makes a good idea stand out when it looks mm-hmm. really nice on paper as well. So we have the opportunity to interact with those people and kind of get them to understand why even though we weren't going to be visiting restaurants and bars because they weren't open, we still had that ability to connect with our people. And that isn't necessarily always about giving them free drinks. It was like, let's give them an opportunity to meet with us as a company and 
talk to them about what we can do to make this whole situation maybe a little brighter and a little better. So that those networking opportunities within my own company really helped. And it's interesting yeah. because we didn't really always have that option. And I, I think this, even though it was a tumultuous time for everybody, we also were able to grow our communication skills internally. And, you know, that, that no. to me was a good networking experience. No, I think it's, I always tell everybody, it's like, when you start to work for a company, if you happen to be at headquarters, and this is really great. I was like, get to know your IT people, drop them off a bottle, get to know them. They are your best friends. Like when your computer fails or your phone breaks or whatever, like if you're the person who stops in, says hi, gets to know them, invites them out to events, your computer gets fixed first. For anybody else's, you get the new computer one. But I learned this right off the bat. I was like, me and IT were like this. They always like, anytime the new, like the new, I like we got a new phone, I would be the first person on the list. Get to know your your HR person. Get to know your HR person. Like, yeah, they are. They're going to take you to the next level, you know? They do. And they're going to also present you with opportunities when they come up. Like, I don't know really what my next step is right now. I, I love what I do. So I'm kind of okay just being where I am. But also you're always thinking about the next step. The HR person, if you can get them to communicate with you on a somewhat regular basis, there is an opportunity. Maybe you could create your own path or your own yep. role within your own company as long as as long as it makes sense. And you're like, this is this idea that I have, I think I can make to come to fruition for myself, but you got to have those people on your side. I mean, it's very easy to do this job and not communicate internally, you know, HQ, but I do think it's, it's a benefit to anybody. It's a piece of advice. I wish I would have listened to my first go around. I did a lot better at it the second go around, but Pernod is also gigantic. Like, you know, so is Diageo. So you do have those people that you can like speak to, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of, and also the uh, last one I was going to say, I get to know the senior executives assistants. They are the gatekeepers to the senior people. So if you can make them look like rock stars, like I started learning like to, you know, talk to them and be like, so Dan Butling, like, you know, and I got to know him better. He was a CMO, but I was like, so his assistant, I would be like, so I know he needs to take his wife. She was like, Elaine, I was like, if you ever need restaurant reservations or recommendations, just hit me up. So like, I would email and she'd be like, so her and I started talking all the time. She's like, Elaine, she's like, Dan's anniversary is coming up. Do you have any places you can? So I made her look like a star. So whenever I needed Dan's ear, she was like, scheduled me right in. She's like, come (laughs) on. Yeah, it was really important because I helped her out. She's like, you know, and it was things I learned as I as I became more senior. I was like, oh, you know what? You you treat the receptionist, everybody that's a junior because they are the gatekeepers. There's so many more senior people. Always be nice to everybody, but really become their tent. And then the senior executive, they'd be like, hey, Elaine, I need like, can you help me out with this or whatever it is? Like, you know, I started learning and getting on their like good list. And now a lot of them, you know, some of them, my current clients, which is which, which, which is great. And, and, and Taylor, I was gonna say you had some great things because, you know, your career, you know, as we said, was very interesting, lots of different steps. But you said something to me yesterday, which is like, you like utilize your network and capitalize on opportunity. And that's helped like project your career. So I know starting with Tales on tour, because I know you have a big thing, but I'm gonna start you like, kind of there, it seems that's where it kind of went from there. Okay. And it took off. So yeah, t- I'd- Echo all of those points. First of all, take care of the gatekeepers. I mean, that takes me back to like the restaurant days of like, take care of the dishwasher, take care of the busters because they're the ones who are going to get you what you need. Um, oh yeah. I, Most important people. Cold, I love, I love that. 
for me, yeah, I was fortunate. I put my hand up. I, I, you know, I asked for things because my mother's thing was always the worst anybody can ever do is say no. And how bad is that going to be? So when I got into the cocktailing world, I was fairly new into it. And honestly, it hardly really even heard a tale of the cocktail. Um, but the first tales on tour was coming to Vancouver. And I said, well, heck, I've just moved away from Vancouver. Would be great to go back and visit friends. Love the city. Love, you know, an excuse to get back there. So applied for the Tales on Tour CAP program, was fortunate to get in. And when I look at opportunities like that, where you have to realize that there were hundreds, if not thousands of other people who wanted that seat, then you owe it to yourself. But most importantly, I think all those other folks as well to, to bring everything you've gotten to your best. And I was fortunate with Tales on Tour to you know, bust my butt for three days, even though some of it was a little cloudy based on, you know, what we were doing. But, uh, you know, after three, four days of busting my butt, I was fortunate that between who I think it was Don Lee at the time and Darragon, you know, selected somebody out of the group to then come down to New Orleans and, and, and cap. And I was fortunate enough to get selected. And really that just sort of skyrocketed my career. And then carrying on down to tails in New Orleans, it was, you know, you're sort of stuck in the, in the cap community when you're capping because you're, you're running around from event to event and again, and on who knows what, but you made some great connections and leveraged those connections. I met Jared Schubert my first year at Tales of Cocktail, and they were just in the process of bringing Camp Runamuck to life, which, you know, most folks listening to this will probably have some sense of, of Camp Runamuck. And that for me, hearing about this opportunity, we just didn't have these things up here in Canada. So as soon as I got home, I emailed Jared and I was like, hey, what you all are doing with Camp Runamuck sounds so exciting. You know, it was only going to be a hundred American bartenders. And I said, you know, Having a little Canadian flavor in there would probably be good for you. So, you know, you should probably make it 101 and have a Canadian. He just like the response was just, yes, like get your butt down here. Whereas now, you know, applying for Runamuck is I'm sure tens of thousands of people from all over the globe <laughs> and a much more extensive process than me, you know, shooting a text to Jared. But my thought was, hey, I've, you know, I've met this individual. They're doing something that a resonates with me and I think will do me well. And a, I'll be able to meet tons of folks who are like minded, but also learn things what's the harm going to be if I shoot him a message and say, great to reconnect, would love to be involved in what you're doing. And shockingly enough, most of the time the answer is yes. You know, I know. And that's a big thing. So well. You actually took the time to do it. So it's, it's most people don't realize about taking that time to actually like a follow up, right? So you got that mm -hmm. card, you met a lot of people. It's really important to then like, oh, put that information in your phone and then send them that note. Like, you know, one of the things I've learned over the, like after tales or whatever, it's like, I write little notes on the back of the car and I send emails to everybody um, and at least friend them on social media, like get them into your network, like at least do that stuff. Immediately friend them on Facebook and, and you know, Instagram and then send them a quick note. Like, so great to meet you. If you can remember part of the conversation, <laughs> like, hey, that was a great point you made or like, hey, the run amok thing, because it, it takes you to the next place. It does. I mean, you, you had a question here and I, it was around networking, you know, sort of carried on from this. And, it, you know, whether we had any advice and I said the exact same thing, I wrote it down here in bold, follow up and follow through, you know, everybody wakes up in the morning with a handful of business cards in your pocket, but what are you doing with those? So, you know, I would, you know, then shoot those folks an email because, you know, again, it's as fresh as it's going to be, especially if you're somewhere like tails or wherever it may be, where, you know, maybe you met them over a few drinks at the bar, maybe you were clear minded as heck, but you met 50 folks and right. they're still standing out to you shoot them an email and just say, Hey, you know, it's, it's Taylor from Toronto working on whatever was so great connecting with you last night on this, this, and this can't wait to see you again. And what that has done for me, just in terms of opportunities, and then even being able to come back to a contact two years later, 
you know, saying, oh, you know, I'm glad I shot them that email because at least I've still got their email now in my inbox. And there's that yeah. thread that I can pull on. It's huge. And it's, you know, otherwise, what does a stack of business cards at the front of your door do for you? Uh, absolutely uh, it, nothing. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. You know, it's like the running joke of the industry is we, we must have met at Tails, you know. But what are yeah. you doing with that information? And yeah, I, I there's also so many other people at Tails that aren't just bartenders. There's restaurant owners, there's distributor people, there's supplier people. So you never know who you're going to meet in those moments. And so, yeah, I love that. Yeah. And one of the best words, a piece of advice I got was Michael Vachon, who's he's American, but lives in London. And he said to me, he's like, I make a very specific list when I'm going to trade shows and, and they will be coming back, you know, who I'm going to meet. So I make sure that I at least meet those people because it's like tales can get really crazy, you know, whether it's like going to see them when they're going to speak. You know, he's like, you know, I know I'm going to be out in a party. He's like, but I, if I like 10 people, then I'm going to be, I make sure I, I reach out to them beforehand and be like, Hey, and I meet them at a specific place. And usually it's someplace off the beaten track, like for a coffee or whatever. He's like, but I make sure that I like, they're like my list. He's like, because half the time you could spend an entire like week at tails and not see half the people that were actually there. Right. Cause it's so big. Right. Happens all the time. Right. Well, and the number of folks who go down there with a group of friends and only spend time with that group of friends or, you know, to, to draw a, a similar comparison, I always say to colleagues, if they're if they're new to this or just coming into the organization, if we're having national sales meetings, go sit at the table with no one, you know, within the organization yeah. and learn about them, interact with them and, you know, hopefully make them, you know, find the senior folks and, and rub shoulders with them at lunch if you can, because what's the benefit in sitting you know, other than catching up with pals, but you already know these folks. It really is a great point. Like I think about Tales, Dame's Hall of Fame. One year I just sat down at the table. I knew one person, I knew Lisa Laird and I knew anybody else on the table. And then I ended up having like all these new friends. I have like some are from Asia now, like my friend Holly Graham from Asia. Like I met the folks from Blackened Whiskey who became clients of my, like, you know, I just met all these, just sitting at this random table and there were tables full of people I knew. And I was like, I'm going to do something new. <laughs> So good. Uh, yeah. Okay. So I know we've been speaking for a, a little bit, but we're getting to, towards the end, but we still have a lot of great questions to talk about. So let's see. Oh, one thing I want to talk about, Jenna. So now that we're, we're kind of coming out of the pandemic, like how do you see, you know, I know you don't have all the answers of like what your focus and <laughs> conversations you guys are having, but like, you know, will you be going back into live? You just said you're having a live event. Like, will it's will you still continue some virtual? Like, what what do you think the year is going to be like for you? The rest of the year it's going to be like for you. I think it's going to be absolutely insane. No, because <laughs> I don't think that the digital side of our business is going to go away quickly. I think it's going to be a really interesting time to see those two things have to balance each other out. I don't think it's going to disappear. I think now that we have this platform, it's amazing. Look at the three of us. I mean. I didn't mm -hmm. know Taylor before. Now we're going to leave here. We're, we're friends. So I think it's great that we have that aspect and who doesn't want to, you know, educate a hundred people at once. And then, you know, even though it's disheartening to disconnect immediately, we were talking about, it's hard to shut <laughs> yeah. your computer down and then you're in silence. Right. Yeah. But then I can walk <laughs> upstairs and go to bed, you know, so there's yeah. a positive there, but I also think there's a disconnect in virtual platforming. And I think, Going back to traveling is definitely starting again. It's going to happen. We're going to hopefully get back to some kind of business as usual. Or I, I don't like to say back to normal, but back moving forward on how the world's going to operate. I 
think we'll go back to travel for sure because I think people do miss that sense of connection, community. And especially, you know, you got two whiskey people here. Who doesn't think that whiskey brings people together? You know, that's the whole point of it is to open that bottle that maybe you got from your grandpa or it's pretty expensive. I always say open everything. Don't don't save and share (laughs) it with people because that is what this whole thing is about. And so I'm ready to move forward and kind of get back to those those moments. I think in Pernod Ricard, internal, we use this term conviviality. It's a French word, obviously, but I think it's a good word to sum up what our business world is like. It's about those connections and convivial moments. And I'm ready to do those again. So yeah, let's do it. Let's get back to traveling, but keep some of that little virtual stuff. And I've learned how yeah, to exactly, kick because there's some states, there's some states I don't need to go to, right? You're like, I don't maybe do I really need to go to that distributor meeting like with the four people? Like, no, like I don't yeah. need to get on a plane, travel, like leave my family home. Like, we could just do this over Zoom. Like, you know, like right. you know, the tiny little markets where it's like six people in the room and you know, and it's like, no, I, I no, like this is just like why can't we just and I we can send them tasting kits, right? You know, things like and I know Taylor has some great stories about that. So Taylor, I mean, for you, what do you think? I mean, the market's gonna be changing. You're still in lockdown, so Yeah. Well, I mean <laughs> you portion. I, I I, we, we in general really leaned into the virtual world, but I really leaned into the virtual world right out of the gates. I mean, you know, I was trying to stay fairly connected to decent news sources and here in Ontario, it felt like this wasn't going away for quite a while when, when we first went into lockdown. So I immediately shifted my energy into the virtual world and, and, you know, continued to build on that platform and program. And, you know, I, we're a few months behind probably, but there's a very bright light at the end of the tunnel and we will get back to, you know, travel and, and that human connection. And for me here, you know, based in Ontario, my role not currently being national, you know, previously it was national, but there's really only four major markets here in Canada, you know, Toronto being by far the biggest, but Toronto to Vancouver is the same distance as New York to Seattle. So, you know, it's huge yeah. distance to yeah. cover. And I love the travel aspect of it and connecting with all those communities. But again, I think this virtual world it will now just improve our efficiencies, really. Well, you know, yes, I can come to way northern Ontario, but I'm not going to physically come. We're going to set up a great tasting. I'll send you the kit. And honestly, it will probably mean more opportunities and more interaction in the future. And now just weaving that back into that being out in the world and the human connection, because heck, I know the three of us know it. And I'm sure really the majority of the world is figuring out that human connection is, you know, almost as important to our overall health as food, oxygen and water. Um, (laughs) So, you know, I can't wait. I look forward to it. But, you know, again, just to echo Jenna, it's going to be, a new normal. It's, it's going to be a weave of these great opportunities, but also, man, I can't wait to hug my pals and high five and, and, <laughs> and, and open a bottle of whiskey and share it and, and just, you know, see eye to eye and, and feel human energy. It's coming. <laughs> Different consumers, I feel like. In a younger demographic of people that I didn't really reach with Glenlivet or like now talking to 25 year olds because the virtual world is where we're living. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've done a really good job of pivoting, pivoting, but like <laughs> changing our ways of working to yeah, Glenlivet has done a fantastic job of being much more inclusive as a brand to people that look like me, people that are younger. So it's now we're able to engage with them on these platforms that, you know, maybe we wouldn't have had that opportunity because they wouldn't be the person to show up. They wouldn't no. be the person to say, 
I'm going to go to this in-person whiskey tasting for two hours. That sounds like a great time. I'd rather go to the beach with my friends. You know, now we have this opportunity to reach these people and open up a whole category of spirits to them. So I think, I think I love the the fact that we are going to have this balance, like you said, woven together, Taylor, for the, for the foreseeable future, I feel like. Yeah, no, I think, I think it's really, it's a really, really great point. And so, yeah, so it's good to see some positive things out out of the, the craziness we've been living in. All right. So I usually wrap up the the show with, you know, talking about two major questions. So one is what mistakes have you made that you would like to share with others so they don't repeat them? So whatever you feel comfortable. Taylor, I'll start with you. (laughs) So we got to be careful here. (laughs) Yeah. I think we should start the time over. Give us another hour and let's go. Let's, (laughs) Let's start from the beginning. You know, I've made so many. To me, the only, I mean, the real mistake is if you don't learn from a mistake you've made, but that, you know, that sounds cliche, but like that, that's the point no, of it's true. It's to learn something, carry on. And the biggest one for me, you know, I, I, I touched on this earlier. I will always be, especially when I'm so passionate about something, a, a yes man. I, I will answer an email at 10 PM. I will answer an email at 6 AM. And it's not because work dominates my life. It's because you know, I may have the capacity for it at that time. You know, I don't live in this rigid world necessarily, but I realized that I couldn't necessarily let that be too much of a slippery slope of just saying yes to everything and letting it bleed into the entirety of my life. So the biggest mistake I made early on was not managing my personal time before then allowing all things work to flood into my personal time. So in now managing my personal time, I never feel guilty about that 10 p.m. email because I may have some personal time at three o'clock on a Thursday afternoon that now no one in my organization is ever going to question because they know I'm putting in way more than 40 hours a week. They may not be traditional, but because I'm balancing those things and, and really owning it and taking control of it, it, it's been it's worked really well for me and been very effective. But just be really mindful of how you're letting work bleed into your home, into your life, and make sure that you're you're setting boundaries and, and putting yourself first and foremost. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I also have a great point. It's okay to say no. It's okay. It's okay to say no, you know, to requests you get because sometimes requests, people are just being lazy. There is somebody else that they get asked to do that job that's, you know, maybe lower down the totem pole than you. You know, I one time I had that conversation with somebody, I was like, do you know how much they pay me? Like, do you know what my salary is? Because you're asking me to do the job of somebody that you that we normally pay 25 bucks an hour to. And I shouldn't be doing that job. It is, does not require me to be doing this at this moment in time. Like you pay me this salary. You could ask somebody who would gladly do this. And, and like, you're wasting my time. I'm like, you have to realize that. And, mm-hmm. and they were like, yeah, that's a good point. I'm like, yes, yeah, so don't ask me. You're just, be- they were just being lazy. They were just right. being lazy because I was just the easy go-to. And I was like, I'm going to deflect this to my boss and be like, nope. <laughs> like, can we just move this to somebody else? Because this is not my job. I know they're just being lazy and I'm just at the top of the list. So learning to say no. Yeah. Learning to say no is big. I, I would agree. You know, for me, I, I think as I look back on it, I think my biggest mistake was, or not biggest, but one of the mistakes that I've really learned for, from in these like past five years with Pernod specifically. And then, like you said, we worked for Remy Quantro as a company as well, is I thought I was the most important person in the room a lot of times because A, I'm very vocal. That's why we have these jobs, right? We have bold, amazing, 
you know, very forward personalities. And I didn't really understand a lot of times what the corporate people didn't understand about, you know, how important we were to the bigger picture. But then I think that is a mistake. I had to, I had to learn to take a step back and understand that like, we're a very large global company and there is so much more to it than the, the this aspect of what we do on, on a daily basis. So I think that's a, and that's a really big, broad mistake, but I do think, yeah, I was, I agree that sometimes we need to take a step back and look at ourselves as well and look at business as, a, as the picture. The business is, at the end of the day, what pays my paycheck. So I, I think we can get wrapped up in this world that we live in. And sometimes it's, that's a mistake. We need to take a, a step back and look at, Shit. yeah, how, how that all goes. So, but yeah, I, I mean, we've all made fun mistakes too. We were joking yesterday. I mean, Who's Unfortunately, I can't flight? hear you guys I'm anymore. Definitely missed my flight. <laughs> but I could rip lip read Jenna. So yeah. <laughs> that that is fantastic. So because of that, I, I, I Jenna, I look for it. I'm going to listen to what you said later on, and uh, I'm sure it was fantastic. So I think you probably gave some great advice as well, because I usually end up what great advice you would give other brand ambassadors. Actually, I, Taylor, I you know I can't hear you. I'm going to ask that question of you. What what advice would you give a new brand ambassador? I think like full circle, come into it with an open mind, check your ego. And, you know, in terms of the scheduling, make sure you're building your personal time. And, you know, people talk about work-life balance. Work is part of your life. But put the things that are important to you in that calendar and build work around it. And you will be that much more efficient and, you know, whatever it is that you do. So that's it. Just put yourself yeah. first and foremost, but check your ego. And, and to Jenna's point, understand that there's a much bigger picture. Yeah. I, I and like Jenna? To, yeah. So I think be the asset that you know you are, right? They, they got, they picked you out of the bunch. So my advice is always, we all get imposter syndrome. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but like yeah. respect your debts to get where you are. And you got this kind of like, sometimes it's, you got to remind yourself you got this. I mean, it's very intimidating to walk into a room of your peers and colleagues, like we said earlier, and it's all here. We just have to remember to, to talk about it, you know, when, when the ideas come or whatever, and all the knowledge is here. So be confident in yourself. And then my last tiny little piece of advice is kind of funny. I have a little phrase that I like to say, never be the first to bed, never be the last to bed. Second to bed is just fine. Feel free to ghost if you're not the host, but don't forget to die. <laughs> I love it. That's my favorite little Thank point. you, Eric, for tuning in as usual. And thank you, Jenna. I, I look forward to hearing that. <laughs> Sounds great. It looked like it was fantastic, but I guess now, I guess it's a good time to wrap up. So I just want to say thank you all for who have tuned in and Jenna and Taylor. It was really a pleasure to get to know the both of you. Thank you so much for being on the show. If anybody has missed it, the show stays on the Facebook page. So if you want to share it to your page, the entire recording is there. It will stay on for the next two weeks. And then it's also on YouTube under Celebrate the Brand Ambassador. So uh, feel free to share it wherever you like. But uh, it really has been a, a great pleasure. And uh, I'm sorry it cut out at the end, but I'm glad you can hear me. <laughs> and I look forward to hugging and seeing you both in person really soon. Yeah, virtual hugs. <laughs> Taylor, it's nice to meet you. This is fantastic. So nice meeting you. Oh, Thank you, like Jenna. Thank you, Bye, Eric. Thank yeah. you. Bye, friends. <laughs> Bye, everybody. 
Thank you for tuning in. Again, this is your host, Elaine Duff. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Celebrating the Brand Ambassador. If you did, please do me a solid. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, leave an excellent review, and share on your social media. Also, follow me at Duff on the Rocks to tune in to the live version of these shows every other week on Facebook and say hi or get a question answered by one of our guests. Lastly, if you want to learn more about my online Brand Ambassador Academy or to sign up for one-on-one coaching, head to my website, DuffOnTheRocks.com or BeverageBA.com. Until next time, this girl is out and an ice cold martini is calling my name. Cheers, everyone.